What's up, guys? It's the phenomenal AJ Styles. You're listening to the Two Man Power Trip. Chad and John, the Two Man Power Trip. That's uh, that's an awesome uh, name for yourselves. Good. How you doing, Chad? Hey, John. Cool, man. What's going on? We ready to go or what? Okay. This is Ricky the Dragon Steamboat. This is Scotty Riggs, and you're listening to the Two Man Power Trip of Wrestling. Hey, man. What's up, guys? This is Homicide. Oh, that's my homie. Homicide with a big homie club. Yeah, that would be it. <laughs> hey, this is David Penzer, and this is the Two Man Power Trip of Wrestling. Well, thank you. Thank you. Hear me. Fear me. What's going on, guys? This is a 7-foot, 330-pound DNA of TNA. That's right. My DNA is outer space. And you're listening to the two-man power trip of professional wrestling. You know, I, I don't do many wrestling shows anymore, probably because I'm a bit ignorant. You guys probably know 10 times more than I do. Great talking to you guys. It's been your pleasure. <laughs> They've worked in and around the wrestling business. They've studied thousands of hours of wrestling, and now they bring to you the greatest legends, Hall of Famers, creative minds, and both current and future stars of pro wrestling. They are Primetime Pod and Chad, the two-man power trip of wrestling. two-man power trip of wrestling my name is chad and as always i'm joined by my tag team partner primetime john Paz. and john today on the show we are joined by the lead commentator for lucha underground former wwe superstar the teacher matt striker joins us and what an interesting chat we were able to have with matt striker regarding the current state of professional wrestling in the world of lucha underground his transition from being a wrestler to a commentator and how he's been able to find success in the world of being a commentator and working with possibly one of the most unique color commentators i think i've ever seen in my life in vampiro but John, you know, you think about what we talked about with Matt Stryker, and when we reflect on this interview, it's very cool to find out that two guys from New Jersey can get along with a kid from Brooklyn pretty well, because midway through this chat, I kind of thought we were talking to one of our buddies. Yeah, Chad, you know, the one thing that really stuck out to me about Matt Stryker, even before we got him on, I knew that he was a lifelong fan. You could tell by his announcing style, his references, and just if you ever listen to him talk, he's very knowledgeable about the wrestling business. His passion really comes through, and you can really see the type of fan and historian, quite frankly, that he really is towards the wrestling business. So I knew going in that he was a lifelong fan, and with that, it came with the fact that I knew that we were going to connect with him because, hey, me and you are lifelong fans. We've been watching wrestling for over 30 years now. It's been crazy. And I know Matt comes from a little bit of a different generation because he's a little bit older than us, but, you know, not much. But, you know, I knew that, that we were going to connect with him right away, and I knew that we were great fans, and I knew that he was great fans, but even more on his side, he's such a historian. He knows so much, and he's got so much 
passion for it. It's just unbelievable. The pa the passion mixed with the knowledge is something that I absolutely love, and that's what you could tell. If anybody's passionate about anything, it really shines through. And when you hear him announcing on Lucha Underground, or when you hear him announcing for Wrestle Kingdom, or even when he was doing this for AAA, doing Triple Mania and the World Cup down there and everything else, his passion really seeps through. And when you're really knowledgeable and you have that passion, it's just crazy the, the connection you can make with the fans. And I really think that he's doing a great job as an announcer. I know you can kind of go back to the WWE days and say, oh, he was a great announcer then. And, um, you know, he won a Slammy Award or whatever you want to say about his announcing in WWE that he was doing a great job then. But I feel like now even more so because there's no voice in the ear, if you will. Like we do get into that story with Matt about Vince and voices in your ear and them telling you what to say and what to do and stuff like that. But now it's kind of he's on his own doing his own thing and they encourage a lot of the stuff that he's so knowledgeable about, you know, you know, the great references is that he makes. And we do get into that in the interview about him and Vampiro making some great references and just shows what great fans they are and what great historians of the wrestling business they are. And I think that's why you really, truly appreciate an announcer and a guy and a fan like Matt Stryker. Yeah, and it's really cool to learn about his transition from being a wrestler and a manager to an actual color commentator. And we even get into his time as the host of NXT. But when you think about him as a commentator, you have to dial it back to his time as a wrestler. And John, I know you and I, and we get into this story with Matt, it's pretty cool. It's a, it goes back to his early days being in the WWE when the news about this renegade teacher from New York who was taking sick days to sp spend time in Moonlight as a wrestler, uh, the story got out and we found out it was this guy named Matt Stryker. And John, you relayed the story that is just so hilarious when you look back, and it's over 10 years ago already that this happened, but the run-in that the early iteration of the two-man power trip of wrestling had with Matt Stryker dating back nearly 10 years ago to a television taping back in the day, as they say. But, you know, you see how his progression was from that, this story as just a member of the Angle Invitational all the way to how he did make the main roster and really flourish as a performer for WWE. Yeah, one thing with our show that we'll definitely have this story and nobody else will have it. It's just, you know, it's true to our show is that we have a little bit of a history with Matt Stryker and we go into that history and it has to do with Kurt Angle. It has to do with the Kurt Angle Invitational. If anybody remembers that little mini feud that Matt Stryker and Kurt Angle had in the WWE, it was great. You didn't think much of it at first, but then all of a sudden, you know, they're wrestling three or four times and, and, a little chemistry develops between them and a little rivalry develops and it's really cool to see and I really like that especially with Matt being a local guy to us and kind of being a, a homegrown guy if you will but we had a great story and we get into it about we were back after the show you know we're uh, drinking or whatever we're doing hanging out the car waiting kind of for the the traffic to leave and waiting for everybody to leave and we see Matt Stryker you know, walking around hobbled after being tapped out to the ankle lock from the Kurt Angle Invitational. And we go over a great story with that. And it just shows you with Matt the old schoolness. Now, was he really hurt? Did Angle really apply the ankle lock? Quite frankly, we may never know. And that's the key to the wrestling business. That's why I love this business. Some things aren't all fake. You know what I mean? You got to, the, the quote unquote, the work, the fix is in. I love that part of the business. You never knew. 
I used to always say Bret Hart, like when he was hobbling around, is he really hurt? I can't tell. He's selling it. He's working. That's unbelievable. It's great. We may never know if he was really hurt. I just love that aspect of the professional wrestling business. And we get into that with Matt Stryker, and he really struck a chord with us that day, and we've remembered him, quite frankly, ever since. And it's one of those things we talked to him about with wrestling. There's a certain stories you just don't forget and you keep in your memory bank forever and it's just one of those cool things it might be little to minuscule to with some other fans out there but to me and chad that day was really cool because we're thinking man this guy is limping all the way into his car love that old school mentality and quite frankly you gotta love matt striker Such great recall and such a great story when you think about it. And it's hard to believe how long ago it was. But it's also a testament to how much we've seen Matt Stryker progress as a wrestler. And then into his role as a commentator. And that really was the basis of this discussion. And that is to talk about Lucha Underground and what they've done to professional wrestling or sports entertainment. And how his role as the lead commentator really is the gateway. Because he's a name. And when you have a product like Lucha Underground which on paper to your average wrestling fan is something that's intriguing. Maybe you want to pull in some casuals. Maybe you want to pull in people that used to watch and really haven't. Well, guess what? Now you're going to hear from somebody that you recall from the WWE, you recall as a wrestler, you recall as a commentator, and you've got Matt Stryker there. And then, of course, mix him in with the chemistry he's got with Vampiro, and it makes to be a hell of a team And I know we've had some guys in the past, and obviously, if you go to our last episode with Jim Cornette, we have some detractors to Lucha Underground, and it's just, it's got to be your cup of tea. This has to be the product that you enjoy for it to be something that you can really get into, and we get uh, all into it with Matt about just how the fan base that Lucha Underground has been able to create is so dedicated, and maybe it's more of a generational thing in that the average wrestling fan in 2016 maybe has more of a wet palate to want to be a part of something and really be on the inside of something so different. But, John, I want to get your take really quick before we get it over to the interview and something that I know you want to touch on before we also get it started. But, John, let's hear what you got to say. What's your take on the chemistry between Matt Stryker and the aforementioned Vampiro? The role of Matt Stryker on Lucha Underground, obviously he's the lead announcer. He's the voice of Lucha Underground, if you will. He's the guy, you know, as far as the announcing is concerned. And he's been doing such a great job with Lucha Underground. And a part of doing such a great job, and we do get into this in the interview, is his chemistry with Vampiro. And it's just awesome to see them be able to connect like that together because when I originally started watching season one I was like I wonder how these two are going to mesh I wonder how you know quote-unquote different backgrounds they've had a totally different history in the wrestling business one's come from this area one comes from this let's see how they mesh together and we get some awesome stuff by Matt talking about his relationship with Vampiro but even further than that the chemistry that those two share together and it's absolutely great and they're probably the best tandem going right now in the wrestling business because They're just so fun to listen to. And like I mentioned before, I love the references. I love how they're both historians. I love their quote-unquote wheelhouse of wrestling because it's, quite frankly, part of mine as well. And I just love hearing a little homage here and there to the the old wrestlers that have either uh, passed on or retired or whatever. So that is just awesome. And I I just love Lucha Underground. 
And if anybody out there hasn't seen it, I really highly suggest that you go out of your way and see it. I know we've had some other past guests on in the show saying that you know they didn't like it or sports entertainment. Just go in there watching it. Don't have any expectations. Just kind of just let it flow. See if you enjoy it, and I guarantee that you will. That's Lucha Underground every Wednesday night on the L Right Network. And it's just a marvelous job by Matt. Great chemistry with Vampiro. I guarantee you will enjoy the show. If you want to see some great action, some great entertainment, some great wrestling, some great lucha libre, you will love this show for sure. Excellent and very well said, partner. Matt Stryker is such an asset to the professional wrestling industry, and it's so great the work he is doing over on Lucha Underground. But, John, I know before we throw it over to the interview and before you hit him with a little two-man power chip of wrestling business, you want to talk a little bit about something that's kind of hit close to home for you this week, and that is the retirement of Daniel Bryan. And I know that's enough out of me. I know you have a lot to say, but, John, the floor is yours. Tell him about your feelings on the great Bryan Danielson, a.k.a. Daniel Bryan, and then throw it on over to the great interview with Matt Stryker. And now I just wanted to bring up a bit of a sad note here, not only for the show, but for the wrestling business in general, and that is the retirement of Daniel Bryan. We don't really like to touch on hot topics in wrestling too much. I mean, we had the Mike Johnson interview from PW Insider, and we went over kind of a lot of the stuff in the wrestling business as far as current topics, but... It's not something we generally do on the show or like to do, but I feel like this is such a huge story. Uh, it kind of rocked me. It kind of rocked the wrestling world. And if you watched Monday Night Raw and you saw the retirement speech and you saw the concussion issue and then you watched SportsCenter and you saw the post-concussion seizures that he was having and those kind of issues, that he really did have a big health problem. But I felt like this was a topic that I just had to touch on for the show and very, very sad day. As anybody knows me or, or Chad, you know, I know you brought this up on the show before, you know, you're quote-unquote gay for Daniel Bryan or you love Daniel Bryan so much and blah, blah. Yes, I, I really did. I mean, he was the best wrestler I've seen, and I've said this a million times. Bret Hart, to me, was the, the mecca, the top guy. I mean, of, of course, Flair, of course, Steamboat. You know, there's so many other great guys. Chris Benoit. I mean, just so many awesome guys you absolutely love and just think, man, this guy is the best in-ring talent I've ever seen. This guy is amazing. I absolutely love AJ Styles. I love the charisma of a guy like Sting, and I love his athletic ability, and I love that he was able to have some awesome matches with so many great guys. But then you kind of just stop and think. It's like, okay, who's the best wrestler? Who's the best wrestler you've ever seen in your life? And I keep thinking back to Bret Hart, but the only guy I've really been able to see reach that level and get to the point where I think he's as good as Bret Hart was Daniel Bryan, a.k.a. Bryan Danielson. And I've had the pleasure of meeting him on a few occasions. He might be the nicest guy in the world. And then his wrestling style is so intense and physical and snug and stiff. It doesn't kind of match his personality. But trust me, if anybody ever gets a chance to meet him, he's the nicest guy ever. Um, I had the chance to actually recently meet him. Uh, for a WWE autograph signing, but years ago I met him at Ring of Honor show, and what a nice, pleasant guy. I can honestly say that he hasn't changed at all. From becoming a small-time guy in the Indies and a big-time guy with Ring of Honor, then becoming, quite frankly and quite honestly, the most popular guy that WWE has seen since The Rock. And I could say that honestly, and I could say that with 100% conviction, and if anybody argues me that point, quite frankly, you're an idiot. 
because he is. And he got the best crowd reaction I've heard since The Rock. And he's one of the very few guys, quite frankly, that got The Rock booed out of a building. I mean, there's the Austins and the Hogan and Brock Lesnar at one point got The Rock booed out of the building. But I'll always remember Royal Rumble last year. The Rock, obviously, you could tell, was furious. Uh, he got booed out of the building because the fans wanted Daniel Bryan. The Rock tried to put over Reigns. It didn't work. And the fans still wanted Daniel Bryan. And later on that night, like I do tell a great story to Mike Johnson, kind of had a little run-in with Daniel Bryan on the turnpike, but that's a different story for a different day. Now, getting back to Daniel himself, I had the chance, like I mentioned, to meet him at the WWE show, and I had uh, something ROH, and then I had something WWE. And, you know, we're talking for a little bit, talking about a match with AJ Styles that he had at Made of that Spectacles, talking about this, talking about that. They're kind of trying to rush you through the line, but he's so nice and he's so friendly. He wants to sit there and engage with you and talk to you. So he said, you know what, I'm going to sign this one, Brian Danielson, for ROH. I'm going to sign this one, Danny Bryan, for WWE. He said, oh, this would be really sweet. Thanks very much. Got a picture with him. You know, true Mark and me came out and was like, man, this is awesome. I love Daniel Bryan. Little did I know that he wasn't going to be wrestling anymore. So looking back, a very, very awesome to meet him and thank god i was able to uh, do it before maybe he even stops doing any signings or anything else but horrible that i won't get to see him anymore and that's definitely a downer and definitely something uh, i'm definitely going to be upset about for a while but that's the selfish fan in me thinking back you know the person in me i'm very happy that he was able to retire on top very happy that he was able to retire with his health still intact because you never know you get back in that ring have another concussion, have a couple more seizures, you become a vegetable or, or pa- paralyzed in some way or something's going to happen to you. So it's just great that he was able to retire with full health and everyone keeps saying it and it's so funny because it's so true. He gets to go home and hang out with his smoking hot wife, Brie Bella. So, I mean, that's a little consolation for you that kind of, you know, puts a little smile on my face knowing that uh, he's going to have a happy life and he's going to do something good and maybe he'll be a commissioner or something with wrestling because he's got such a great personality and he'll be able to do it. But Man, it sucks that he's re- you know he's retired. But you know what I'm gonna do? I'm gonna go home. I'm gonna hang out and watch some good old school, some Brian Daniels and stuff. Maybe I'll watch his match against Cena again. His matches against Takeshi Marishima, which were absolutely epic and awesome. His matches against Nigel McGuinness, against Samoa Joe, against AJ Styles. Even his match against Roman Reigns, which is the best match Reigns ever had. I'll watch the Bray Wyatt match, which is the best match Bray Wyatt's ever had. I mean, you could say that about a million guys that. Uh, Dana Bryan has wrestled because he just brings it out of you and he's quite frankly the greatest in-ring performer of all time I mean I probably put him up there tied with Bret Hart in my book which is a complete honor and I'm definitely going to miss him as a wrestler and I hope to see him around and I you know sorry if I wasted anybody's time saying this but I just felt like I had to get it out and I had to say it and I'm sure that a million other people have a million different things to say about Daniel Bryan but he was a great guy he's a great person he's so nice and on top of all that he is the greatest wrestler quite frankly, that we're ever going to see. Now, for some TMPT business. Like us on Facebook. Follow us on Twitter, at Wrestling Pal and at Two Man Power Trip. Subscribe to us on YouTube. Also, subscribe to us on iTunes, where you can check out the feed for prior great episodes with the late, great American Dream, Dusty Rhodes, Ricky the Dragon Steamboat, the legend Harley Race, Lariat Stan Hansen, Jerry Jarrett, Jeff Jarrett, and so many more. Also, check out the website, tmptofwrestling.com. That is tmptofwrestling.com. You could also check us out on the I-95 Sports Network. Also, we are now a part of the Top Rope Press Radio Network. So visit us at topropepress.com. 
Now, for more information on booking Kevin Thorne, a.k.a. Mordecai, a.k.a. Kevin Fertig, please email us at bookings at tmptofwrestling.com. That is bookings at tmptofwrestling.com. Also, if you want to see Kevin Thorne's Pro Wrestling Tea Store, you can check that out and become a member of the Bike Club. And now, without any further ado, the only man to have ever announced a WrestleMania, a Wrestle Kingdom, and a Triple Mania card. He is the lead announcer for Lucha Underground, which you can see every Wednesday night on the El Rey Network. He is the great Matt Stryker. Please enjoy. Students, it is I, Matt Stryker, your teacher. All right. Well, joining us on the line today is somebody who comes from Gleason's gym and has brought himself all the way to the Temple of Lucha Underground. Of course, you know him as the lead commentator for the critically acclaimed series Lucha Underground, and that is Matt Stryker. Thank you so much for joining the two man power trip of wrestling. Thanks for having me. I appreciate it, man. You know, like I said, critically acclaimed, it's something that you can't really uh, talk about professional wrestling or sports entertainment in 2016 and not put Lucha Underground right at the top of your hot topics list. And with that being said, season two underway on the El Rey Network. When you got through season one, could you imagine what season two could possibly have to offer you guys? <laughs> yeah. I say this a lot, and it always seems to come up, and it always seems to be so fitting, but uh, you want to hear God laugh, you tell him your plans. I, I think I've learned from, from wrestling and from television that you, you do what you're there to do, and you don't think about tomorrow. Tomorrow will have enough thoughts of its own, to paraphrase. So, no, I don't think we knew. I just think we were having a great time doing season one, and other people felt that energy, and here we are doing it again, and you know, hopefully again and again and again. I find it so funny that when we talk about Lucha Underground and fans and wrestlers and everybody who's involved with it, the fact that we actually use the word season when we talk about a professional wrestling or a sports entertainment entity like Lucha Underground, because that's traditionally used for television and for episodic television. But here we are talking about season one, season two, and just announced there will be a season three. But do you think that's kind of cool and different and really translatable to how we talk here in 2016 that, yes, we're talking about pro wrestling at the end of the day, but we're talking about it in terms of just regular television? Well, first and foremost, I think certain words have worked their way into our lexicon in 2016 that weren't you know, readily at the tip of our tongues in 96. Uh, with that said, I think the great term, and I don't know if he intended it to be this pure and honest when he coined it, sports entertainment. You say seasoned, and yeah, you know, baseball has a season, and Shameless on Showtime has a season. So I think that what Lucha Underground is doing is it's becoming sport as well as television show. So the person that goes, oh, I don't watch wrestling. Oh, okay, but but they watch the Underground versus people that go, oh, I don't really watch, you know, telenovelas and stuff, but they watch the Underground. It's able to just cross across everything, for lack of a better term, you know, as you said. Yeah, without a doubt. And, of course, uh, Shameless, an explosive television show. Oh, in it's its great. Own right, yeah, like, with, with a lot of... <laughs> 
with a lot of twists and turns, to say the least. But you can also say the same thing about Lucha Underground and the fact that you're there, you're right, you know, right there at ringside, you're right there taking it all in, and you yourself moving from being a color commentator to now being a lead commentator and now having a season under your belt. Do you really like taking the lead? I know you have a great partner and you've always had good partners, but how do you like moving from one chair over to being the lead guy in charge of telling the story? I think that my my origins and my teachings lend themselves. So whomever is in the chair next to me, I'm going to work to their strengths and away from what I perceive to be their weaknesses. And hopefully people will do the same for me. So I, I don't think the whole assignment, you know, which position am I playing today? Am I playing first? Am I playing third? Am I out in the outfit? I, I think I'm just going to try to do my best in whichever chair I'm sitting in, whether it be a two-man booth, a three-man booth, even with, you know, people knock Yoshitatsu, man. I mean, I, I have to, you know, use what I'm, I'm with and working with. So so there you go. I love Yoshi. I thought he did a great job, and I'll talk about that for days, too. And speaking of announced partners, you know, we talked about you having a great one in Lucha Underground in Vampiro. What's it like with you guys? Because it seems like you guys have a great chemistry, and it seems like you guys are one of the best tandems out there in the wrestling business. I appreciate that compliment. Um, I think first and foremost is that Vamp and I are really a lot uh, a lot better away from wrestling than we are when we get to the building and get to the ring. We kind of do avoid each other for, for the most part of the day just because we understand the whole rigmarole that goes involved. But then five minutes before showtime, we get together, we have a little room, we get together, we you know, spit some lines at each other for about five minutes, and then we go out there like a band or like a team and we just play. Uh, it's, I can't explain it, man. It's almost kindred. It's weird. And then obviously the big reveal or, you know, the big start season two was a great opening that you guys did and a great job by, you know, all the producers and the production crew and everything else. You pick him up from the Ascent Asylum, you know, in that awesome fancy car. Was that cool to film? Because it seems like a, such a cool and powerful scene. Uh, well, yeah, first of all, I think my, you know, everyone's happy my grandma let us use her car. I mean, that, that's her 67. Um, <laughs> I just keep thinking of that scene from, if you get that movie where grandma rolls up in the sixth floor bouncing. All right. Uh, yeah, it was definitely a lot of fun. And, and I think it's, and I don't mean to be so, you know, self-demeaning, but you could have put a monkey in that scene and it would have looked cool. If a monkey turned around in a leather coat and a bad haircut and said, hey, brother, you would have been like, nice. It's just the way it's shot and, and everything. Yeah, it was, it was very cool to be a part of it. And then to see it come to life out of, uh, the guy's name is uh, Skip, he's a genius. To see it come to life out of his mind onto the screen is, is thrilling, you know, it's inspiring. The production value that goes into the show is utterly amazing. Is that something that Lucha Underground has specifically wanted to separate themselves with and just have just unbelievable production value and kind of go beyond the realm of sports entertainment corporate, almost go towards, you know, Robert Rodriguez's bread and butter? Again, I mean, I just think that the beauty of the show is that it crosses these boundaries like that. And I, I'm reminded of, like, movies like Goodfellas, movies, uh, shows like that 70s show where they were shot in a way where it, it conveyed something. In that case, it would be a time period. So I just think it's just the way it's shot really conveys something to the viewer. And that, you know, that's the tip of the cowboy hat to, to, to Robert and to everybody else that's involved in, in the production and the concepts. Absolutely. And the temple itself is such a, a cool name for it. And the venue's cool. And just the way everything is shot is great. What are your feelings on the temple and the fans 
put together? Is it just like the perfect mix? Because it seems like such a crazy crowd, always into, you know, all the angles, all the matches and stuff. Do you love that combination when you get to the temple? I, I think that uh, the wrestling fan in and of themselves is a character in wrestling the same way um, Dick Slater has been a character to the same way Tugboat was a character. You go back to all great promotions, and it has to start with the fans. Go back to World Class and Dallas and the Sports Talk, man. Those fans are crazy. Or, or go back to the territories in, in North Carolina, or if you go to the ECW days, or, or Memphis and Mid-South. The fan is an integral part of what happens, and the same thing applies with the temple. Uh, there's a bit of an argument, you know, in the back as to who coined the name, the place, the temple, and the believers. Uh, I will not make a comment on that. But it's just, it's perfect, and it's cool, and it's, it's I don't know, it just fits. Definitely. It definitely has a cool vibe to it. And the fans definitely, you know, heighten it big time. But are you ever surprised when a certain celebrity shows up? Because there's been a lot of them popping up in the fans. <laughs> Obviously, uh, Machete was there. The guy from Hot Tub uh, Time Machine was there. You ever get surprised? Like, wow, they're here tonight? This is crazy. Uh, it's become almost like not, 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 not a thing anymore because you don't realize how close we are to downtown Los Angeles. And if you just look at the, the population... It really is a lot of current, young, hot, famous people, and this is the current, young, hot thing. So after, you know, a while, you're like, oh, hey, cool. Like, I'll say what's up to Ron Fuchs is in the crowd, you know, a few other people, and things like that. And I, I don't know if this becomes expected and cool, and, and, I, and I, I'm happy for the wrestlers, too, because then at the end of the day, they're the stars. Without a doubt. You know, and it's funny you talk about not just the celebrity fans, but how about just the fans in general? Because I think the pulse of pro wrestling fans and fans of watching athleticism and the way that Lucha Underground presents its performers, do you think that as fans, obviously you are such a well-documented historian fan of professional wrestling dating back to when you were a kid, but have you seen the fans start to evolve more and really be more not I'm not going to say obsessed or more like because uh, we were all obsessed growing up, but are they so much more meticulous about wanting to be in on that cool product? And of course, Lucha Underground represents that in so many different ways, shapes, and forms. It's a, it's a great question and an analysis and a commentary on society as a whole. Uh, what is happening? I'm noticing is that you are getting these these bisects of fan bases. You will have the almost hipster equivalent to the fan base. I'm so knowledgeable, and look at me, I can grow a beard, and I happen to know when Nakamura first wrestled. Okay, dude, I get it, that's great. And the fact that I know Tommy Rich and Bud Sawyer doesn't make me any different, nor better, nor anything of a fan than you. But there seems to be that divide. There's also this wave of, and now I, I point to the Lucha Underground fan, they don't want to know the spoilers. They don't want to know the guy's real name. They don't want to know that this guy's dating that girl. They just want to watch the wrestling. And that's the fan I was because it almost got a little... I scratched my head and turned my head to the side like a dog when I read in... I think it was New Wave Wrestling. It was a wrestling magazine that gave oh, you guys yeah. real names. Right? Yeah. And that raised yeah. it and then in parentheses next to him it had a different yep. name. And I was like, who? Scott? What? And I was like, wait a minute. I mean, he's not raving? What do you think? Wait a minute, he's not in a Harley race? So there's a little bit of that, don't tell me Superman can't fly, don't tell me Santa Claus isn't real. So I think the Lucha Underground fan is like, hey, man, I like this. I, I, 
I, I know Breaking Bad isn't real. I know the guy doesn't have cancer. I just saw him in a different commercial. But they want to watch. So there you go. And exactly. And if you were a fan, you know, 10 or so years ago, we, of course, especially us in the Northeast and New York, New Jersey area, found out about this teacher who had a, such a passion for his career in wrestling that he ended up fulfilling that dream, but at the expense of be, you know, not being a teacher anymore. Now, that guy went on to be a, a WWE superstar, and his name is Matt Stryker, and he's on the line with us now. And we're, all, we're so happy he's here. But, Matt, you know, one cool thing about you as a fan and what we've learned about your history and the interviews that you've done is that you really prided yourself on being a guy who studied everything and you wanted to know everything. And throwing out New Wave Wrestling just literally, <laughs> that blew me away because that is a great, great reference. But when you decided that you wanted to go in, all in on wrestling, did you think 10 years later the business would have changed in the way that it has that, yes, WWE is still that big overlord, but now we've got these little places that we can go that aren't necessarily an indie they're trying to really make their own headway in other areas. Um, I'm, I'm, I'm 17 years into this thing, and again, I don't think we ever, go back 17 years ago in your life or anyone listening, we don't ever have the foresight to go, yo, I'm going to do this, and in 17 years I'm going to have this. Because think about it, most people, oh, I'm going to be a teacher. I, I would be on my, I'd be three, three years away from retirement right now. Or I'm going to go be a cop, or things like that, you know. You never think about it. That's number one. Number two, my father and God. I mean, those have been my guiding forces. My dad, I remember, he sat in my car in the passenger seat, which was so weird to me because as a kid, what do you mean? Dad, daddy drives. And he said, do it. I remember he said, why the F not? Do it. And I was like, you know what? Why don't the not? Do it. So what's what happens? And he said, I'll be here if, if it fails. You come home. And that net was like, yes. And I guess that gives you wings to go, you know what? F it, man. Let's see what happens. And now, gosh, I don't know, man. <laughs> you know, it makes me cry when I think about it because it's a dream and it happens and that's that. And it's awesome to be able to be doing your dreams and everything. And we talked about you being such a wrestling historian, so it's cool to be, you know, the fan and then get into the business. But one thing I noticed with your commentary, which I love, and Vampiro, same thing, and I don't know if it's consciously or subconsciously, you guys always reference something in the past, and I always liked that because, you know, I was a fan more so then than, than some of the stuff I see now, so it's always great to hear some, some names and stuff like that. Is that a conscious effort that you're making, like to almost uh, play a little bit of an homage to the past, or are you just making references, like subconscious? Um, one, you should do books on tape. Your voice is marvelous, by the way. Seriously. <laughs> uh, <laughs> I'm not being funny, man. A lot of times, it's all, sometimes it's all it takes to just have a good voice. Um, not that you don't have other talents, I'm sure. Anyway, to your point, uh, as far as bringing up the references and things like that, when I originally started doing it, again, I was doing it so that I know my dad was listening, and I'd go home and be like, hey, did you hear this? Or I knew Tommy Dreamer would go, oh, dude, why'd you say Skandor Akbar? I'm like, oh, to make you laugh. And then after a while, I think it became a little grating on people's ears. But with Vampiro, I know that's his wheelhouse. I know that's where his strengths lie. So I can, I can just get him going by going, well, uh, Kawada, huh? And he's off and running. And, and I can take 30 seconds to take a sip of water because otherwise I know it's on me to do the actual, you know, tackle, drop down, leapfrog, go behind, arm direct, things of this nature because he won't, you know. So, so there's that. And, and I don't know, I like it. And to the people that get it, they get it. For those that don't, I know it's a touch annoying, but 
I don't know. I try to tone it down. I, I won't throw out a Duke the Dumpster Drossy reference every time I see a garbage can anymore. I used to always do that, but I, I get it, you know. It's played. I love it, and I love, you know, you get Vampiro riled up, and, you know, he starts talking about all Japan and Kawada and everything else. So I really enjoy it, and I think it's cool. And I remember when you did uh, Wrestle Kingdom 9 with Jim Ross, he, you know, he would make a reference like, oh, it reminds me of Sting or it reminds me of Muda or something. But then, you know, then you'd come in with, with a lot of, you know, unique wrestling history in the past. So I love that. And is that something that kind of missed in other wrestling companies? They're kind of not bringing up the past as much as they kind of should be. I don't know who says they should be. We're saying that in their minds. And I I assume the references are to to WWE and other places that while referencing Bob Backlund is wonderful, Bob Backlund isn't going to draw them a million dollars. So let's reference Bob Backlund, but then let's tie it to how John Cena has shattered his record. I'm sorry, Bruno Sammartino shattered his records as being champion or things of this nature. And I can understand that direction Vince and WWE, they want to go where the money's coming, and it's coming in the young fan. The young fan will learn about Bob Ackle and Bruno Sammartino, but they're going to wear the John Cena t-shirt, and that's where it begins and ends in that regard. Other places will bring up, you know, Al Madrill, <laughs> Scott Casey, I don't know why we're in this whole world-class thing, but you know, I, I don't know. I, just, I think that's what you choose to watch, what you choose to listen to, and understand the direction of the people running that product. I definitely feel like, me personally as a fan, I love the old school stuff. And I'd say probably about 10, 11, maybe 12 years ago or so. Maybe it was 10 or 11. But anyway, uh, I'm at an event in Philadelphia for WWE. And this guy who's very familiar and this guy that was in the news just lost to Kurt Angle. And he put him in the ankle lock. So, you know, any probably new school wrestler, they would just walk around like their ankle was fine. So me and my friends were out after the show, probably drinking a beer or two. And all of a sudden, this guy comes. He looks very familiar, and he's limping as if his ankle was broken. And he's selling it like an old-school performer would sell it, taking it literally all the way to his car and barely getting his car to act like his leg was hurt. And that was Matt Stryker, and he was in the Kurt Angle Invitational. And that was just like one of my first times that I actually saw you wrestle like live that I can remember where I really was like, wow, this guy's so old school. I love that. Is that just a conscious effort by you? Because that was such a cool uh, memory that I have of you. Like, man, this guy's selling it in the parking lot. Yeah, I'm smiling ear to ear right now. For all of the, I mean, listen, I, 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 I listen to my critics and I listen to my fans. For all the negatives and the positives, the best thing that's ever been said to me is that. Because that to me is, I read that, when I was a kid, you know, guys like Dr. Death, Steve Williams, and stuff like that, that, that he got married with a cast on his arm. And, and was his arm broken? Question mark. And to this day, we won't know. Unless you, man, who just walked past me and maybe sneezed on the truth. But it's, it's to that effect that, dude, maybe, my, maybe Kurt was really, really tight with that ankle lock. You have no idea. I, you know what I mean? And I'm not going to let you know. So I don't know. But the fact that you remember that and the fact that there's that moment there, is it conscious? Yeah, because I'm emulating my heroes. Is it real? It might have been in that moment, but I'll never tell. <laughs> you know, so that, that's that's great. It really is. It's awesome because it's suspended disbelief a little bit. Because you know we're kind of smart enough at this point, and we're thinking to ourselves, mm. like maybe you know maybe Angle is kind of an insult. Maybe he cinched it in because uh, he you know that this guy was a, a rookie to him or something. So you know you definitely have that thought in your mind, mm-hmm. which is really really cool. Was it kind of cool being able to? have a kind of a mini feud with Kurt Angle? Because you kind of kept popping up on his invitation. 
uh, again, it's, it's something that we, we hindsight's always twenty twenty. Had I known that I'd had those uh, three or four national set with him, I would have uh, paid more attention. I was it was the first thing I did there. I was completely caught up in the mania, no pun intended. Of oh my god, oh my god, oh my god, you're Kurt Angle. Oh my god, the boy suplex. Oh my god, you're Kurt Angle. Things like that. If I would have now that I look back, I learned so much about just physical part of the term wrestling. Wait, the way Kurt would cut the ring off and the way he would uh where he'd end up after moves so that he wouldn't have to waste movement or that his opponent wouldn't be out of position, things like that I picked up on in my first four matches in WWE. It actually I think worked as a detriment because I ended up just being what they call a good hand. And then again, I think, you know, my size may have worked against me too, but learning how to just cut the ring off by sect angles, things like that, again, no pun intended, that was what I got from that little mini rivalry with Kurt. Really, really cool. And you're looking back, and it was almost like a little mini feud, you know, because you kept popping up and you kept wrestling on for, I think, three So really kind of cool to be able to do that and really kind of, you know, unique that you kept popping up with those invitations because usually it's one and done. They just squash the guy. But when you got your WWE deal and that whole, you know, that whole thing came out with your past with, you know, you're using sick days as, as a teacher to wrestle, which is just, quite frankly, awesome. But was it kind of surreal that it's like, you know, I made it, uh, you know, I'm I'm there, I'm in WWE now? So I go back to points of origin all the time in my life. I go back to sitting in that car. I go back to my dad sitting in the passenger seat, me sitting in the driver's seat, how awkward it was. I go back to effort. Why not do it? Called him up. I ran in between that. Trucks parked in the building. It was a huge building, uh, Worcester, Massachusetts, where John Lauren I just told me, okay, I'm going to hire you. And I ran between the two trucks. I had terrible service on, a, on an old cell phone. And I called them up, and they said, they signed me. The first question was, how much are they paying me? <laughs> All he cared about is, are you going to be okay? You know what I mean? Are you going to be able to eat, and are you going to be able to have a life? And, of course, it was surreal. And it still is surreal. To this day, it's not lost on me that this is what I get to do. It could, it could end tomorrow. So I, I do a lot of crying. <laughs> I watch the sunset a lot, and I do a lot of crying, but happy tears. Like, my God, thank you so much for this life and these blessings, and I just hope I could return them to someone somewhere along the way. <laughs> I turned this interview terrible. Hmm. Well said, for sure. And it was interesting when you were in the WWE that they kind of went with the generic kind of like heel teacher, like, you know, Dean Douglas, you know, oh, you know, kind of going to, everyone hates their teacher kind of thing. But it was kind of cool in a way because you got to do the Matt Strikers classroom thing. Did you like kind of where they were bringing the character and where you were going? Originally, it was rah-rah good guy. I was wrestling Johnny Parisi every single night and using every standard Tony Gurria ending to a match you could think of, victory roll, sunset flip, <laughs> just all of these, like, real white trunks, white boots, come on, let's get them stuff. And I remember I was in San Francisco visiting a, an old friend. My phone rang, and it was a writer that happens to actually be a writer for Lucha Underground today. And so, listen, Vince hates you as a rah-rah, get-behind-me kind of guy. He always said in school he hated his teachers. He wants you to come on Monday or Raw and just be the biggest D-I-C-K teacher you could be. And hung up the phone. I said, here we go. Got the Argyle sweater, guys. I said, Vince was the one who said, the thing I hate about you most. I said, great, thanks, Bob. That smile. You smile at me, I want to punch you in the face. So he had to tell me. So all I did was smile, 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 smile. To this day, it works. 
because to this day there are people with such venomous animosity towards him that have never met me, but they believe the Matt Stryker character. Oh, he thinks he's so smart, or oh, he said this, this way, and they want to fight. And Vince was right. He was right. So that's how that whole thing developed. And it was kind of cool in, in a way that you were able to have kind of like your own segment and do the Matt Strikers classroom because, you know, not a lot of time is invested into some guys and some more time is invested into others. But when you're doing Matt Strikers classroom, you know, basically they're going to invest some time into you each week, which is kind of cool. Did you like that whole thing or do you think that was kind of like, eh, it's kind of cliche? You know, I uh, a couple of the guys, I won't say who they were, that were kind of what we call um, – Poopy stars, if my grandma was uh, You know, hey, man, you know, aren't you pissed? Don't you wish you were wrestling? And they got the blackboard up again. Man, why, why do they keep doing the interview segments? And I'd always be like, why are these guys so trying to get me to not like this? And I remember, it was like, guys like Tommy Dreamer, Edge, John Cena, they're guys that made some money. They go, oh, so you got a spot again. Good stuff, good stuff. And I began to realize that the Strikers classroom was just a vehicle. It was just a segment. One time John Cena was on. One time Carlito was on. One time Boogeyman was on. It wasn't about me. So I just shut the hump and stood out Stryker's classroom with John Cena or uh, Matt Stryker versus John Cena with Edge and Lita on commentary. I I was plugged into these spots because it worked. I loved those segments because it allowed me to show them what I could really do, which led to my somewhat longevity, which was talk. The segments showed Kevin Bond and Vince McMahon, oh, damn, this kid can talk. And they put me into different talking spots. I lasted for almost 10 years. That wasn't supposed to happen. <laughs> hmm. That is true, and that is great, kind of looking back. And you know, like, that those guys were probably just trying to get in your head or trying to get you down, or maybe they were a little bit jealous of you. But then, you know, you get a guy like John Cena, who, you know, is kind of the face of the company, saying, oh, this is great, you're on TV. So you know it's a coveted spot, and you know it's a good spot. But then it comes with being bright enough to see. People say stuff to you, and some people go, "Uh uh-huh, and they're so busy on their own stuff. But if you listen to what people say to you sometimes, they'll give you the answers without you even asking. Just let people talk. And you go, oh. So when John goes, ah, so you get another spot on TV and winks at you, yeah, I'm not an idiot. Oh, that's good. Oh, okay. (laughs) You know? Sorry to cut that. (laughs) Absolutely. And then it kind of leaded into a little bit of fun that they had. And, you know, you feuded with Eugene and then obviously the legend, Axel Jim Duggan. Did you like that too? Was that kind of fun for you? Because that was, the, you know, a little bit um, different to feud with Eugene, I guess I could say, without getting too, you know, political or politically uh, incorrect. But did you like kind of the, them doing that kind of like fun sports entertainment kind of stuff? Uh, Eugene was the first one that told me, you got to remember again, you know, these are all, I'm six months into the, the company, so I still don't have my bearings and wherewithal complete, my confidence, my, I'm going to do this this way. So I was relying on others, and it was Eugene, the first one that said, hey, listen, man, don't be afraid to beat me up. Don't be afraid to show these guys. You know what I mean? You don't have to be so, I'm the good boy in school. You've been here for a little while. You can get a little comfortable. And I started to get a little more comfortable. Uh, we made sure not to, to mess with the lines of, uh, you know, special needs and all that. I mean, that, that's never in question. Near and dear to them to me is hard. Near and dear to my heart. I think all kinds of work with all to speak. I, I don't think that that was something that was on my mind, and it was never brought to me to do something, you know, to call him the R word or anything like that, you know, so. And then it was kind of cool that you got to wrestle uh, Hacksaw and Duggan, but then they do oh, a little yeah. thing with Carlito, 
and you kind of have that whole thing. But uh, as far as wrestling, just, you know, Hacksaw and some legend and stuff, you kind of just look back and, like, you know, that was really cool. Even though he was older and kind of, you know, out of his prime or you know, whatever you want to say, is it kind of cool to wrestle some of those guys you grew up watching? So what happens with that, and I didn't learn this so much later on, all those legends, they kind of know each other, and they all kind of talk. And amongst them, they have a, 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 a short list of guys whose names, when they hear the name, they go, oh, sure, I'll wrestle him any time. Sure, no problem, sure, no problem. And from, from being with guys like Hacksaw Duggan and being in the ring with guys like Roddy Piper, God rest his soul, after being in the ring with all these guys, your name makes that short list of, of not... I guess trusted opponents or guys that I'm, I'm, I'll fight him. That's okay, you know. So to have that experience with Hacksaw, to learn that style, I was able to pretend that it's 1985 in the mid south, and I'm and I'm Buck Robley, and I could do that for two seconds when I was getting some heat. Oh, Hacksaw Duggan down in Louisiana, you know, stuff like that made, made me feel like the heroes I read about in my magazine. So of course it was fantastic, and any time I got to do anything with, with legends. I would just pretend I was, you know, Tom Rocky Stone, just like an ancillary kind of guy from that time. <laughs> <laughs> and it's funny because, you know, you mentioned his name, and of course, somebody who I know you had a, a huge, huge, you were a huge fan of growing up, and that's Rowdy Roddy Piper. The fact that you got to be in ring with Rowdy Roddy Piper going back and forth and to have the perfect foil of a birthday cake to be just completely drenched over your head, is that another one of those just, like, career-defining moments where you look back and you went toe-to-toe with the hot rod? Uh, Tommy Dreamer and I talk almost daily. He's, uh, I would say, pretty much my, my greatest friend. And uh, he says to me every Sunday morning, he goes, why do you keep tweeting the same thing every Sunday morning? Roddy Piper used to tweet uh, lyrics from a song. They, they, they were the wrong lyrics, but the way he tweeted them were his own every Sunday. And then when he passed so abruptly, I just, that Sunday, I did it and have been doing it ever since. So to be in there with those guys and to get their their acceptance, I remember, you know, with the stuff with Roddy, and I've done more stuff with him that, that wasn't on WWE TV. It wasn't scripted. It wasn't they didn't come and hand us stuff right. And I said, all right, kid, so uh, I'll say this, and uh, let's see what your chops are like out there. And then the minute he winks, he knows, he knows you're good. And then you say to yourself, oh, my God, Roddy Piper just validated me. Oh, my God, he thinks I'm a good talker. Oh, here we go. Let's keep, we're supposed to only go a minute and a half. I think that thing went like seven or eight minutes. That's all on him just feeling the moment. Those old school guys feel the moment. It's not you do this, I do that, let's be done in six minutes. Yeah, at any time he really came on. Basically, since he came back to WWE in 2005, it was just always can't miss because you hear those bagpipes hit and you just you, you knew something was about to happen. But we'll talk about ECW now. And, of course, that was a great move for you because you were able to really – you were shining in so many different lights, back as a wrestler, also as a manager. But when we talk about the new breed and we look at that almost 10 years ago, which is crazy in itself – when you look at that vision of ECW and that it's the new breed and it's, it's different characters that stand out and that an evil teacher fit right in perfectly to that concept of ECW, is that another one of those things that it was uh, maybe a higher expectation for the company thinking that ECW, maybe the fans thought one thing, company thought another, and for the performer, now you're in ECW. That kept, those three letters in 2006 we're still a strong entity. Was that something for you that you were like, all right, I'm going to take this and I'm going to really just fly with it? 
Well, as a, as a fan growing up, that, there was a, a period of time for about two or three years, kind of at the end of the Bret Hart Yokozuna era, where I kind of didn't stop watching, but I just I was interested in other things, whether it be girls, hockey, or ooh, what's that smell coming from behind the school with those rock and roll kids running out, stuff like that. So, um, but but when I got back into wrestling, I got back into the ECW. It was on late at night. I was older, um, and again, you know, you do you come home, maybe had a few beers with your buddies or whatever, and you you watch ECW. So once those three letters came up. It gave me my opportunity to go to WrestleMania. It forged my friendship with guys like Tommy Dreamer, Sandman, Rob Van Dam. It gave a kid from Bayside, Queens, who had no right even being at WrestleMania unless... I, I had a WrestleMania moment, you know, that monkey flip and taking the frog splash and the DDT and all that. The ECW opportunity was fantastic. And again, people don't like to hear it. It came from Vince McMahon. It was his idea. A lot of the good stuff is his idea. And when... You know, and Daddy has a good idea. You you want to make Daddy happy, so you run with it. I knew I wasn't going to be the big basher. I knew we had Corbon for that, and I knew that Elijah was going to do all the antagonism. So I was going to take the ass kicking. I knew I could do that, and that's the role that I settled into. But Vince loved seeing me get my ass kicked. He'd laugh on replays, and I, I'd hear it, or I'd see it back in the in Gorilla when they'd watch a replay. I'd see him smile. I knew it. I knew he liked seeing me get bounced around. So from here on in, guys, do your stuff to me. Bounce me around. I don't know. You know, we've actually had the uh, opportunity to talk to a couple people that were on your team for that WrestleMania match, the new breed versus the originals. We talked to Elijah Burke. We've talked to Kevin Thorne. And I'd love to get your take because everybody says, the, of course, the WrestleMania moment defining. There's nothing like it, especially at that point. That was the biggest WrestleMania that they had had in a long time. And I know a presidential candidate who was a part of it definitely had a hand in, in the eyes that were on that WrestleMania, but it's the rematch that everybody talks about that it really felt like the authentic feel of ECW was able to shine. Well, uh, two things. One, about WrestleMania moments and stuff. This will sound campy and corny, but it's true. My WrestleMania moment is that last shot of seeing Tommy, Sabu, Rob, and, and Hack and Scott Armstrong all raising their hands. I knew that Tommy's daughters were there, too. And I know that that was his WrestleMania moment. And I know that every time Tommy looks at that picture, he's, he has to think of it, whether he wants to or not. And that's how special my bond is with Tommy, that my WrestleMania moment was seeing him win, number one. Number two, um, the next night, whether you want to believe it or not, uh, we didn't, we didn't talk to each other a lot. I think we were all kind of beaten up and a little pissed off at each other, too. That's why that second match on TV was, it didn't have the pressure of WrestleMania. We were all kind of a little pissed off at each other, and we just kind of blew up all the steam of, oh, my God, this is our first WrestleMania. Oh, my God, oh, my God. Only Rob was calm because he had been in WrestleMania before. So I think that shows it. Yeah, it's uh, it's so cool looking back, both nights in, in particular, especially the fact that ECW was represented on WrestleMania because that in itself is like, my God, you never thought when you're watching it back on the MSG Network that we're going to see Joey Styles calling an ECW match on a WrestleMania. But, you know, ECW had a lot, a lot, a lot of promise and a lot of great stars on it. And, of course, like I said, you definitely were a huge part of that. But one thing that was really cool was the fact that we saw the rise of CM Punk on ECW and, in fact, giving that shine to newer stars to be able to emerge. Now, a guy like Punk, who's gone on to do many different things, obviously, since his departure from professional wrestling, you yourself 
we're able to have matches with just countless guys, whether it's a veteran or a new guy. But when you were moved into the management role and being Big Daddy V's manager, how was that? Because the two of you next to each other, man, what a sight to be seen. <laughs> Um, I think to, to originally to, to, to the punk point and to uh, a lot of other guys, actually, you know, Brodus and Wade Barrett and Jack Swagger and a lot of guys, uh, Vince needed to see them first in, in ECW. And he needed to see what they could do before he went, okay, all right, come on, you can play on, 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 my, on my big show, you know, so to speak. So I, I think that ECW gave a lot of guys an opportunity to see what they could do. I think they gave a lot of people a chance to see what they couldn't do. There are some people that after about three or four weeks being on ECW, you never saw them again. So I guess Vince, you know, saw what he had to see. Um, so, so there's that. And what was the second part of the question? With Big Daddy V, the fact that two of oh. you, when you when you transition from being a wrestler yeah. into the management for Big Daddy V, just the sight yeah. of the two of you, and especially that he changed his ring attire, was uh, was quite the sight to be seen. So I want to say that that comes from somebody walking past us in the locker room and seeing this in a various state of undress and me in a full state of dress talking to him and said, hmm, look, that works. But uh, again, I do think the Big Daddy D uh, character of uh, taking off the coverings and, and showing his tattoo in his body and putting him with the annoying teacher, I think again, that's Vince. I, I, I'll have to double check with one person, but I think that, that mind came from Vince as well. Vince has always liked the, the pardon the term, but the, 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 the ethnic monster. He's always chased it, and, 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 he, and, he, and, he, and he has it. He had it with, with Big Daddy V, and to an extent he sees Roman that way. Even in Rock, has that, there's ethnicity there that, that Vince enjoys. So it was a great opportunity, man. I learned a lot from this. He was just the sweetest, kindest man in the world. His birthday is coming up February 14th, the love machine. God bless him. And uh, one day we shall all be together and put on a hell of a show somewhere. Yeah, again, it's hard to believe a guy like this has been gone for uh, for nearly two years, and that's uh, that's very unfortunate. But you know, with you and him, you guys made a great pairing, and he had a pretty uh, pretty good feud with Kane there. And of course, Glenn Jacobs being one of the uh, probably the most unspoken big name in the history of, re- of the wrestling business, just because of the fact he's been there forever. But working with a guy like Glenn Jacobs and learning from him is that just a, is that another guy you can just sponge off of because of his longevity? Yeah, and what you really glean is from Glenn <laughs> is uh, you watch how he acts. He never says much, ever. He'll let other people talk. He'll smile. He'll nod. William Regal is this way, too. But then they do their workouts, or they you know they, they go to the ring, and they have their matches, and, and they're just consummate professionals. And then you want to be them. I, 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 I want to trust like William Regal. You know what? I want to walk into catering like Kane. And you begin to start, they lead by example. And, and then once you get to know them, it, it, really, you don't talk a lot about wrestling. You talk about just things in life, and then they apply to wrestling. I think a lot of guys are stuck on, well, I want to do a drop kick and then an arm drag. And it's more of, well, why? And, and what are you going to do in between? And that's what I learned from just being around those guys, just being in their orbit. <laughs> Yeah, it's so great. And, again, just a guy who's managed to 
really just fly under the radar in terms of being one of the most decorated guys that the WWE has ever just put on that main stage. But talking about you yourself and moving forward, if we can, you know, and, and moving into that commentator seat. So we talked about you as the lead guy, but why don't we talk about how you transitioned into that color commentary role. And we've all heard the stories about the, the voice of God in your ear and how you can be directed as you're trying to uh, do commentary. But how was that as a transition for you, somebody who can talk and fly off the cuff, but now you've got to put on the cans and you've got to hear Vince in your ear? How did that work out for you? Well, first and foremost, I think you'll sense a theme here. I, I always acknowledge the people that have helped me along the way. Uh, Joey Styles is the reason, that, or he's the one to blame, why I do commentary. Uh, they had a void uh, in the ECW event. I think it was Eddie Pazzer. Mick Foley had left, and someone had moved up to SmackDown. And Joey Styles had just casually mentioned in the meeting, you know, who likes to talk a lot and knows a lot about wrestling. Well, I'm not striker. And Vince went, okay, fine. Like, it was the last thing on his mind. He had 800 more things he had to worry about that day. They put me down in that chair. I put the headsets on. The executive producer of television walked me through one match. We did one match uh, cold before the doors opened up. And I said, all right. And I realized, again, they just want to, to plug spots in, and they don't want trouble. Just don't suck. Just be okay. And I said, you know, I've never settled with being okay. I'm going to take this, and if they kick me off after week one, good. If not, I'm straight talking to my dad, and that's what I did. And then Vince would occasionally get in my ear, say this, say that. And we developed a relationship, so he knew me, I knew him, I knew where his mind wanted to go. Mark Henry's not just the world's strongest man. Mark Henry was bench pressing 400 pounds the other day, but I noticed that Jack Swagger was watching him through the mirror in the gym. I'm wondering, Byron, if Jack Swagger's thinking about testing Mark Henry. You'd hear Vince go, good stuff. He liked that. So, <laughs> so that's where it, it became where it started. Yeah, and your commentary was so unique because you gave – you really felt like you had the fan's voice when you were in there because you had such genuine emotion and genuine reactions. And one really stands out, and the WWE plays it every single time they throw a top five video or a top ten video of greatest surprises ever, and that's at the Royal Rumble. I think it was 2009, I want to say, when it was the the big 40-man Royal Rumble and all the surprises that came back. And your reaction to Diesel coming through that door was one of the most priceless reactions I think you could possibly, excuse me, I think it was 2011, you could possibly ever uh, imagine a commentator could have. But the genuine surprises, did you like throwing that stuff out there rather than just being rehearsed or overproduced? Uh, Jerry Lawler taught me. Uh, in the beginning, you know, they, they, you have the shows are have formats to them. They're, they're in 12, 13 pages thick format. It's not so much about you know, what's going to happen in the matches because we, we can never tell that. It's really just about which match is on when, then this graphic will come up, then we're going to go to video, then we have 30 seconds for a commercial, da 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 And one time Jerry Lawler took my little packet and he, he, he threw it, like, away from me. I looked at him and said, what are you doing? He says, I'll tell you right now, it's the best thing anyone will ever do for you. So just look at that monitor and talk from your heart. And that's what I've done since. So I, I, I didn't want to know who was coming. I don't want to know that... Uh, that what the, what the end of the match is. Oh, this is going to happen. I just want to react. Otherwise, I'm afraid it's going to be forced. I think I'm, I'm going to try to think of a clever line or I'm going to overthink it, which I do all the time. So I'd rather just not know. Just kiss the girl. Don't lean in and go, all right, I'm going to kiss you now. All right, here I come. Smell my breath. Here it is. Watch my nose. It doesn't work that way. <laughs> oh, no, no girl will ever kiss me again. <laughs> 
Is there certain things that they tell you to say and certain things they tell you don't say? Because that came out a couple of years ago, I guess, with mm. the, the certain paper with the initiative of, or whatever, whatever you want to call it, that Vince says yeah. you can say this, as you can't say that. The, as far as the blueprint, I never physically received or saw one. But uh, just, again, by listening, I'm a big, you know, God gave you two eyes, two ears, one mouth kind of guy. Just by listening and watching, you'll know from someone who's belt. You'll hear Vince grumble, or you'll see him roll his eyes, or you'll overhear him say to someone, to a Michael Hayes or a Triple H, damn it, belt keeps your pants up. Tell us the championship. Tell him that. And he could, he could be talking to someone else, but I heard it, and now I know his thought. So there are certain words that you just want to be careful of, especially if you're WWE. Yeah, if you're Lucha Underground, it, it, the words violence and blood and lust and carnage, these are encouraged words, and we like them, and we smile. You're a John Cena match? Be careful if you say, you know, any of those things. Is all I'm I could definitely see that, and uh, Vince might have a problem with some of the things you would say on Lucha Underground, but, you know, obviously, yeah. Different audience, indeed. Now, speaking of WWE and, and, and Vince and all that other stuff, another creation of his was NXT, and you were brought on in the host role. Did you like the direction that show was going? The original concept came from the executive vice president of television. It was a man whose name you'll hear often, and some people are afraid to utter his name. And most times, you know, people are have, have anger toward this man, but remove your emotions and just look at business, dollars and cents. The executive vice president of television is a genius. And the packages, those video packets, Daniel Bryan video packets, tell me you didn't cry. Just just tell me you didn't cry. It, it, come on, that, those are all from this one man's mind. NXT also came from this man's mind. When I originally heard of the concept, I thought it was brilliant. It was originally supposed to be like American Idol, straight up. They were going to bring indie guys on. Uh, they weren't enough contracts. They were going to just sign whatever kind of little deal. And they were just going to be voted on, voted up. And then it was, well, why not we, why don't we use our guys and so on and so forth. The idea was fantastic. The opportunity for me was, oh, you mean I get to stand and talk and get paid and I'm not scripted? I can just ad lib? Cool. I'll shut up and stand over here in my little vest. <laughs> you know, and that's it. So, yeah, and I established a relationship and a rapport with the right people, production shop people. Vince, again, executive vice president of television, always going to the tower, doing edits, doing voiceovers. Uh, Josh Matthews, Michael, you, you develop relationships that lend themselves to your longevity in a career and any opportunity you're given. And also on that show, obviously, you know, you kind of just mentioned him with Daniel Bryan. You and him obviously had a relationship or knew each other beforehand. And I used to love the kind of back and forth that you guys would have. Was that totally unscripted, or did you kind of know where each other were going? Unscripted and knowing where we're going are the same thing when you come across someone that you have a great chemistry with. Uh, I just think that what you're picking up on sharing with Brian was, was my admiration and respect for him because I knew what he could do. And I knew that they, being WWE offices in the brass, they really didn't know. So I'm kind of chuckling under my breath, because I have an easy job here. My job is to build this guy up in their eyes. I don't need to say much. All I got to do is see him wrestle, and I knew that. I knew it made my job a lot easier. Um, and again, I, I put a tweet out the other day. If I don't of Ryan, everything everyone wishes they were. I know I wish. When I got into wrestling, I could turn it back. I wish I was Daniel Bryan. I wish I, I, I could wrestle like him. I wish I could be in the places he's been, the respect that he has. He's, just, he's everything you want to be. And when you meet him, you hurt people for a living? Like, you're the sweetest, nicest human being in the world. Like, 100% compassion, all that liberal stuff. That's him. He's great. 
obviously, you know, the very, very sad news of his retirement rocked the wrestling world on Monday night. It's very, very sad to see. And then obviously on SportsCenter, we kind of got a little bit more info about what happened to him. But what did you kind of think about that, about his retirement? Because it's very, very sad and kind of maybe selfish of us, the fans, to be wanting him to still wrestle. But obviously very sad that he obviously had a lot of, you know, physical injuries and concussions and everything else. Well, one, uh, I, I chose not to watch it just because I don't want to see it. Because then it, it makes me emotional. It, it, it affects, you know, me. And it's all about me. Okay. But, you know, that's just one reason why I don't like to watch or read things. And in a way, are negative. But I think if you just put Dan Bryan's career side by side with any athlete, you know, how long has he been wrestling? How many championships has he won? What has he done? He's had an amazing career. And, you know, 34, 35, and it, it, the way WWE is structured, you don't ever have to fall on your head or neck, and you can still be an integral part of wrestling's history for many years to come. And I, I'm assuming something like that will happen with Daniel. But in, in the same breath, you know, if you ever meet Arn Anderson or Dean Malenko, look at the back of their necks. They have this dipper scar on the back of their neck. Arn Anderson's left hand is, isn't 100% because they had to have vertebrae fused on their neck. Now, I know Daniel stuff is concussion-related, things like that, but it's kind of a blessing that in this day and age, a guy 34, 35, can say, all right, I'm going to walk away, I'm not going to die, I'm going to make babies with my beautiful wife, and I'm going to have, he's 35, you know, do the math, he has a long life ahead of him, God willing. So I think it's a blessing. I think it's, we should be happy for him. Absolutely. And in one way, you know, the selfish fan in me is like, damn it, we're never going to see, you know, probably one of the best wrestlers in ring that we've ever seen. And then on the other side of me is like, no, you know, this is good for him to tap. It's almost like when Barry Sanders left the uh, football. It's like, man, this guy's getting out when he's healthy and he's still, you know, he still can go. It's actually, it's almost kind of like refreshing in a way. It's like, okay, it's, you know, good for him. So in one aspect, sad in the other aspect, you know, very, very cool for him and his family. But getting back to you and, you know, your run with WWE, which was, like you said, it was a, you were there for a long time. You did many roles, wrestling, announcing, and everything else. Were you kind of sad when you were released, or did you want to be released? Or was that, was that just something like, all right, I'm going to move on with my, you know, my career. And I, you know, I want to go to Japan. I want to go to Mexico. I want to do this and that. Nope. It was a, it was a right hook to the body out of nowhere. Um, oh, wow. And, uh, yeah, I don't know. I was on my way to discuss my contract extension. I was I was doing math in my head. I had numbers. I was planning a different direction. Now, I had uh, just, again, after I lost my father, that was uh, the biggest right hook I've ever had in my life. Knocked me flat. But then I pulled myself up, and I'm just getting my legs under me, man. Just ready to get back in there. And another hard body blow came, and I took a knee, and I didn't know what to do. And I was sad. Yeah, super sad. I think I even cried. But then, uh, again, another name, Joey Styles, calls me up. And uh, Joey knew the nickname my dad had for me. So anytime Joey wanted me to laugh or he wanted to, you know, he would always use that nickname. And that's the first thing I heard over the phone. And he said, hey, Butch, Joey. And he talked to me for about a good 45 minutes. Mapped out a plan, what he thought I should do, da-da-da, things like that. And I listened to my friend. I did all those things from the way he had me structure my Twitter account. Put a picture of yourself. Don't be one of these guys that goes and buries everyone. And don't get it. And, and I look at myself in the last two and a half, three years I've been away from WWE. I've made sure not to do the things everyone else does. Not that I'm against them, but I just see everyone has a, 
uh, hey, get a free, get a greeting from me. Get my T-shirt. Buy, buy my DVD. I'll be wrestling in this. But everyone's doing it. I just feel like there's there's a nut somewhere else that if no one is looking at it, I can go have it all to myself. So I pursued Lucha Underground, or they pursued me, thank God. And uh, this company called Paragon Pro Wrestling in Las Vegas that I do, I produce their show. I, I, I'm almost kind of like their their Kevin Dunn in a way. I'm nowhere nearly as talented, but I call their camera shots and their vignettes. And then I do some wrestling in Oregon. So Joey helped me a lot to plan my life after WWE. Yeah, you break up with your girlfriend, you go, oh, my God, life is over. And then a year later, you meet another girl, and you go, oh, my God, I can't believe I lived without you. And that's that. See, whatever, for whatever reason, I don't know, I guess I had it wrong. I thought that you had wanted your release because it seemed like you were so positive about it. That's Maybe that's what threw me. Because you never buried anybody. You never kind of came out and, like, you know, oh, they, they screwed me or whatever. So I was thinking, for whatever, you know, reason, I actually try to pay a lot of attention to that stuff, that uh, you wanted to release because you got to do all these amazing things outside of WWE that, you know, within WWE you may not have been able to do. Well, I had no idea these things were out there, number one. Number two, again, I get this from my father. Why in the world would I'm using only my own situation? Why in the world would I want to leave? That check came every Monday. It was a lovely check. I worked one, maybe two days a week. I drove to Connecticut in the middle of the week. I shot maybe five or six shows. I got to talk about wrestling all the time. That was my job. No one bothered me. Why would anyone want to leave? I get a lot of these guys are on the road 800 days a year, and they're, you know, they think they should be champion or whatever. That check comes every Monday, and if it's a nice check, shush, and you put all that money away, and you baby and your wife and whatever you like and you and then one day you have enough money and you go all right i'm done and you walk away and you go to hawaii i would never want to leave no <laughs> hmm. well you definitely ended up in some good places like you even got to do uh triple mania and triple a which is kind of cool with uh hugo and then you know like you kind of mentioned before you're in new japan pro wrestling you're doing it with jim ross and then this year with kevin kelly and yoshitatsu so that is that like kind of cool when you think about it? It's like, man, you know, maybe I'm not WWE anymore, but the biggest event in Mexico did it. You know, check that off. I did WrestleMania, check that off. And then Wrestle Kingdom, check that off. Or for Jim Ross, check that off your list. Is that really cool and surreal looking back at your career? A lot of times when I get to whichever town I'm in, I always go to the hotel. Hopefully the hotel has a balcony. If not, I'll just pull the blinds back and look out the window. And I do life assessment. That's just what I do. And again, man, in the last two and a half years, the things that I've done, someone told me this is uh, a fan. This is so you everything. You know, you're the only person in history to ever call a WrestleMania, a Wrestle Kingdom, and a Triple Mania. Cool. You know, that's cool. Thank you. But it just goes to show that you see the same people on the way up that you do on the way down. Not that this is the way down, but I make connections and contacts with people in those places you mentioned, near Japan and uh, Mexico, long before my time with WWE. And then during my time with WWE, I was just always kind and always a fan. So once you become available, people remember the relationships with you, and they say, hey, would you want to? Hey, why don't you come down? And then from there, you have to earn your place there. You know, you have to get invited back. Very important. And and I just think that, that again, I'm just thankful for opportunity. You never know where it's going to come from. So it's an old saying. It doesn't help you when it happens. When one door closes, another one opens. Just straight up, that's how it is. You know, it's interesting. I always think about this, but I know that, you know, a guy like you can't really give a straight answer, perhaps. 
But I was just curious, and maybe you can give me a couple guys, but is there a favorite guy that you've liked working with? I mean, you, Jim Ross, you had Kevin Kelly, um, Joey Styles, Michael Paul. Now, there are only guys that I've gotten to work with once or twice, and uh, William Regal is one. And it's just, again, because of my affinity for him. I just want to, I could listen to that guy read a box of orange juice. Like, just, just tell me anything you want. I don't care. I just want to sit next to you and talk wrestling. Joey Styles is another. Um, I always enjoyed working with Josh Matthews because while I see my side, I'm older than Josh and bigger and stronger, tougher, I can beat the crap out of him. I always seem like I learned from him. Like, his mind for what we were doing was so much more advanced than mine. And that was always fun. Jim Ross is Jim Ross. You just sit next to him and you just let him drive, and you hope he lets you touch the radio. Other than that, uh, those are the names that really come to mind. Well, of course, Vampiro, man. I mean, that's that's my brother. Count him as a broadcast partner because he's my brother. Vampiro is, is excellent, and you guys are excellent together on this show. And now, thinking back a little bit to your wrestling career, I know you literally wrestled in the Indies all over the place. I mean, you even made a pit stop in ROH, and... Recently, as we were talking about Tommy Dreamer, you were in House of Hardcore. Even in the great old ECWA, it's teaming up with a former <laughs> guest of our show that we absolutely love, an ace darling. So, I mean, you've been everywhere, and you've done a lot of different things all over the place. But I have to stop at 3PW because when I went to a couple of those shows, there was one guy on there that was so entertaining, but not just because of in-ring. It was of his impressions and all the great impressions that he does. Is that just from watching wrestling all those years? It just, like, sticks in your head and you just become a great impressionist? Uh, yeah. And now we start to strip layers of the onion away. As a child, <laughs> uh, my, my parents got divorced when I was young, and uh, I just socially I only had, like, one friend, my friend Mateo. Still to this day, my best friend. And uh, I just I really didn't connect. So I'd walk home from school alone a lot and uh, things like that, and I would do the impressions of the interviews that I would watch on at the time, WWF, and also Mid-Atlantic. And that's where I developed my personality and my voice. I had none of my own. I had no social skills of my own. All I wanted to do was just, I guess it comes from the separation as a child. I just wanted to, I wanted to spend time with my dad and my father. Be with daddy, be with daddy, be with daddy, be with daddy. Wrestling, wrestling, be with daddy, wrestling, be with daddy. It became my identity. So when it was Todd Gordon, whose idea this was, to bring in the 3PW, so listen, you kind of do a real rah-rah 1980s good guy thing. I think they're going to want to stab you in Philadelphia. What if you do it, and yet you think they like you? And then from there, it morphed into, <laughs> I started doing the Polish hammer and the flying burrito, and then it morphed into wear face paint. And do, this, is, this was all I'd ever known. I don't have any social skills other than that at the time. And in college, I will tell you, when I smoked a lot of pot, and a lot of that stuff... <laughs> It makes you different. It just makes your sense of humor different, your attention to detail different. I wore my grandmother's hat, uh, a ballet parking jacket, and I came out and sang the Russian National Anthem. People lost their minds. I'm just doing what I did when I was seven years old. Uh, you, I still know it to this day. I'm a fan. I woke up sang it every Saturday morning. So I know it. So there's the insanity and the pathos behind that. And you do so many good impressions. I mean, like the, the Road Warriors or Flair or uh, even Sabu or Sam or something like that, but it, or even Ultimate Warrior. But two guys really stuck out to me that possibly could be your best. I know, I love it. Jimmy Superfly Snuka and Macho Man Randy Savage. Are those, like, your guys? Are those your two favorite guys, or are they just so 
you know, fun to uh, be, you know, do an impression of them? Um, well, for, for those two guys, I think the allure for them was that they're, as a child, remember, your voice is high. Yours were so very low. And it, it, it was a departure from who I was. <laughs> Again, all of this was escaping, you know, third grade Matthew, that, that, no one, that I didn't want to play with anyone, no one wanted to play with me. So those voices were such a departure. Roddy Piper was everything I wanted to be. And when people say, you know who you remind me of, in my head I go, please say Roddy Piper, please say Roddy Piper. And they say, Roddy Piper or Bobby Heenan, which are both just amazing compliments. Those were what I wish I could have said to that girl in sixth grade when she, you know, knocked over my apple juice or whatever it was at the time. So, yeah, those two voices were special because they were such departures from my natural, you know, high-pitched, eight-year-old, nine-year-old Matthew boy. Awesome stuff. I mean, that's just amazing. And as you start to wind it down here, you know, we talked about your impressions. We talked about your career, your announcing, and everything else. I just wanted to ask about actually in-ring wrestling. When you look back at your career, you, you know, you said 17 years. Do you have a favorite match that sticks out or maybe a couple matches that stick out in your career? I'm also say your favorite match is your next one. But, uh, you know, my stuff with Kurt Angle, especially the one uh, on Raw that went down to one second. We could not have planned that that way. That was divine intervention. And uh, again, I, I know my I know my dad was watching, and I know he jumped out of his chair. So that's that's one that sticks out. Uh, I had a match with Low Key and Steve on his World One promotion in Philadelphia that, for some reason, also sticks out. Um, I'm sure there are others, but those are two that really, really uh, live in my mind. There's also a guy named Josh Daniels that they used to really just beat each other up every weekend. I don't know if you want to call those matches, but yeah, there you go. Josh Daniels, he's a pretty damn good wrestler, obviously, you know, more more yeah. towards the Northeast, but definitely a really good wrestler. If I remember seeing him quite a few times. Do you have a favorite opponent in your career, a guy that you just, you know, love getting in there with? Would it be like a Josh Daniels where you're just beating each other up, or is it somebody else that kind of sticks out you just had great chemistry with? Uh, Josh definitely comes to mind, and uh, but then there's uh, Rob Van Dam and uh, Kurt Angle, just because of it's almost like I know I can't go wrong here. If I lose, I lost to the best. If I win, oh my god! And if they knock me out, which I will say that if I've wrestled each of them, you know, however many times, I would think they have knocked me loopy at least three quarters of the time. They just hit so damn hard. I, I don't like um, But, you know, it's those kind of matches. Uh, I think you're going to win with You know, and just things like that where you know you can't lose. You're only going to be better when this is done. It's an amazing feeling to go from behind that curtain going, when I come back here, I'm going to be better. It, it's, it's unreal. It really is. Now, looking back, have you ever had a match with a, or, you know, haven't had a match with a guy, a quote-unquote dream match, where you can just pick one guy. Would it be like Piper or something? A guy, you know, if you could, you know, somehow do this match, and, you know, whether he's alive or dead or whatever, is there a dream match you have in mind? Yeah. Uh, see, I'm torn, because but it's, it all comes up with the same kind of wrestler. I want Dean Malenko in his prime. I want William Regal when, when, when he's healthy and 100%. I, I want Fitzsimmons. I want Johnny Stink in, in, you know, when he's 33. 
you know, that, 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 that's, those are the maps. So I want Eddie Gilbert in, 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 uh, in Mid-South. Those are the maps that I wanted to. Some great references there. And I can't help but think of Lucha Underground right now when I'm thinking of some great talents and some, you know, great dream matches that can actually happen now that Lucha Underground is putting together, whether it's, you know, Johnny Bundo against Prince Puma or uh, even a guy like Brian Cage against Prince Puma and stuff like that and all the amazing Lucha stores that are in Lucha Underground. But when you're thinking of Lucha Underground, and I always try to do this, I always try to pick one or two guys that really, really stick out to me that I'm just thinking like, I, you know, I got to watch this guy every week or, you know, I really want to follow this, guy, this guy's career. I'm even going to find some obscure stuff from him where, you know, where he wrestled in, you know, Florida and from the 25 fans. Like I, you know, there's certain guys that I want to pick up on. A guy like Prince Puma, obviously Ricochet, a guy like Phoenix or Pentagon Jr. But for you, is there a guy in Lucha Underground you can point to and say, hey, you want to watch somebody, want to find some tape on this guy, go watch this guy? Well, it's it's hard to say because if you're going to say, hey, if you, you want to watch someone, go watch Drago. But then you're going to say, and while you're at it, go watch Ciancada. And go watch, you know, Superna- and then you go down the line. You made the point about dream matches. You know, this summer, we can all say, oh, my God, I can't wait to see Clayton Kershaw throw to Bryce Harper. And if I'm going to stay healthy, we're going to see that. But we can never say, I wonder how I wonder." Well, we can say, I wonder how Bryce Harper would do against Sandy Colfax, because we'll never see that. So when it comes to, like, these dream matches and things like that, you always have to go back to the guys that started it. But I'll use Drago, and um, because he's just someone that I just think there's so much to him. And, and there's, you can't go back too far with a lot of guys now. Back in the day, you could go back and watch Jack and Jerry Briscoe 20 years before they were, you know, who they were. Now guys have only been around five, six, seven years. The evolution of the athlete is amazing. Go watch Dr. Wagner Jr. There, there's that. Go watch young Dr. Wagner Jr. Hmm. I, for a second there, I almost thought you would say, go watch uh, Melissa Santos, but I, I was going to say, oh, my God. But if I said go watch young Melissa Santos, it would be a much different interview. <laughs> now, of Lucha course, it's Lucha Underground. It's Lucha Underground. It's on every Wednesday on the El Rey Network. And Matt Striker, this has been so much fun because it feels like we're talking to one of our buds because you're such a great fan. You're such a great historian. You're such a great contributor to professional wrestling. But if you could give a fan who's never seen Lucha Underground a water cooler pitch and somebody who's going to check it out, what would you tell them as a first-time viewer? Instead of, uh, I learned this from Vince, too, and this is sound, you'll chuckle, but uh, we're really not supposed to tell the fan what to like. You're supposed to find out what the fan likes. I know it doesn't seem to be the case. So I wouldn't tell anyone, but I'd go to you and I'd say, hey, man, what's your favorite show? Or, hey, man, do you, you like Breaking Bad? Do you like Walking Bad? Do you like Shameless? What, what do you like? And you tell me what you like. And from there, I promise you I can turn you towards Lucha Underground, even just for five minutes. That's all you need. So I would ask someone, what are you into, man? Even music. Oh, you like music? Oh, you like sports? Oh, you like drama? Oh, you like girls? Oh, you like guys? Oh, you like masks? Oh, you like anime? Oh, you like sci-fi? Star Wars? Hot? What are you into? Whatever you're into, we got something for you. We can we can get you in. It's an exclusive club, but there's a lot of ways to get in. There's 
That's uh, that, that's perfect. I'm sold, even though I've seen it uh, uh, quite a few times. I'm sold again. But, you know, then I want to switch it on you. And what would be, at the end of the day, when the book is closed on Matt Stryker's wrestling career, what would be the legacy or what you would leave behind to the professional wrestling industry? Yeah, you, you get me the time in my life when I become very pensive and very reflective. Uh, whether you like me, you didn't just just say that, you know, I love this, this sport and that uh, at the end of the day, my dad would have been proud of what I do with myself. That's that's all I want, you know. That's it. You know, you can't say it any it. better. Yeah, you can't say it any better than that. And uh, if, uh, you know, of course, we said go to the uh, L Ray Network, check out Lucas Underground, but if they want to – Reach out and touch Matt Stryker. Where could the fans and the listeners of the two-man power trip of wrestling do so? Where can they touch me? How dare you get me in so much trouble? Uh, reach out and touch me at Matt underscore Stryker underscore on Twitter. Uh, yeah, that's it, man. Say hi if you ever see me walking around. I'm pretty cool. About it. <laughs> yeah, very cool. And uh, appreciate the time. And this is-